This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Piedmontese Beef. Now in SEMA, you and Mark, you guys had a had a nice nice little bromantic session over at his pad. Yeah. You guys had a big old barbecue. What did you guys have? Yeah, we had a meat party. <laughs> you guys Lots met up meat, meet up? Meet up. Um yeah, no, but we had uh some of the Piedmontese hot dogs and we had some of the hop dotty patties. Ooh. And oh my god, guys, okay, so if you ooh, <laughs> if you want some really good hamburger patties, you got to go to Piedmontese and check out their hop dotty patties. Okay. They are a little bit on the fattier side, but it's okay. Um, but it is so good. I think I <laughs> ate like four of those patties at Mark's. I had some of the hot dogs, um, had, I think he made some steaks too, but oh my gosh. Those patties. Those are... patties. And what's the deal with the hot dogs? They're so good. <laughs> the hot dogs are really good. Oh, no. I like to chop up my hot dogs before inserting yeah. them into my mouth. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, some of y'all, if you want safety to eat this first. Hot dog, safety, safety first. Safety first. Safety first. Um, but yeah, the hot dogs are so good too. I know you're a big fan. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Them, them, them hot dogs are really good. Yes. But, you know, and Seema kept mentioning Hop Dottie. And in case you're unfamiliar, that's just a, uh, a restaurant train out here in California. I'm not sure how far east they go, but we're talking like the best hamburger patty that you've ever had. And it's now available at Piedmontese.com. Uh, that's what it's, I think it's a 75, 25, yeah. uh, you know, so 75, yeah, that's the cut of, uh, or that's the ground beef that they use to make this hamburger patty. Uh, I will admit I, I burnt one really, really bad. Cause I, I've never, exp- I'm no, I'm sorry. I'm not experiencing this like extra fatty cut or extra fatty type of ground beef. So I, I messed, I messed one up. Okay. My bad. Mm-hmm. Something I got to live with. You guys don't have to do that because now you just learn from us, but head over to Piedmontese.com. That's P-I-E-D-M-O-N-T-E-S-E dot com at checkout. Enter promo code POWERPROJECT for 25% off your order. And if your order is $99 or more, you get free two-day shipping. I can't think of an app, like a better way to have like a big old like birthday party or something mm-hmm. than to get a bunch of these Hop Dottie patties. As a matter of fact, I think that's what we're going to do for my daughter's birthday this summer. Yeah. yeah. You guys need to be just like us. Again, Piedmontese.com, promo code POWERPROJECT at tw- uh, for 25% off your order. Head over there right now. What up, Power Project crew? This is Josh Settledge, a.k.a. Settlegate, here to introduce you to our next guest, Tim Grover. Tim Grover is the CEO of Attack Athletics Incorporated. He is a world-renowned personal trainer, keynote speaker, and best-selling author. He is famously known for his legendary work with elite champions and Hall of Famers, including Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, and hundreds of other NFL, MLB, NBA and Olympic athletes. Tim Grover is the preeminent authority on the science and art of physical and mental dominance and achieving excellence. Tim is the best-selling author of the national best-selling book, Relentless, From Good to Great, Great to Unstoppable. He is also the creator of the digital training platform, The Relentless System. As a keynote speaker and consultant, Tim works with business leaders, athletes, and elite achievers in any area who want to know how the best can get better in anything they do by teaching them the principles of relentless drive, result-driven performance, and mental toughness. More recently, Tim Grover's book, Winning, focuses on the 13 specific principles of unbeatable performance. But that is a different story for a different day. Please enjoy this conversation with our guest, Tim Grover. This should be a lot of fun. I uh, Every person that I know that knows Tim Grover loves him. Um, Andy and Sal Frisella over at First Form, they're huge fans. Ed Milet's a huge fan. Uh, Gunnar Peterson. Gunnar Peterson was all pumped up. He's like, I'll listen into that one. He's 
Oh my god! You always knock over John I, Cena. I don't think he's usually leaning on it, but yeah. you do and knock him no. over okay. often. He, I mean, he's you know, he's my age for God's sake. You gotta, you know, <laughs> you gotta be careful with these older gentlemen. Good luck. Plus, he just does the fake wrestling. You know, he's not doing mm-hmm. real stuff like you're doing. Yeah, so you gotta be, you gotta be cautious with someone like that. He might be fragile. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm excited to have Tim Grover on the show. I don't think anyone really. Well, maybe not. Maybe I, I've listened to a lot of his stuff, um, but I don't really know if people talk to him that much about training. No, it doesn't seem that. And I'd love to talk to him a little, at least a little bit about training. Mm-hmm. You know, to know some of the X's and O's. Mm-hmm. And also um, diet, like because he looks like he stays in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, he has looked that way since the time he worked with Jordan, and he's mm-hmm. always looks like he stayed in shape. And if I think if we're going to talk about winning and we're going to talk about ways of getting ahead, I think one thing that can really slam your ability to get up off the couch is a poor diet. Absolutely, I think a poor diet can lead into a. a a hard, you know, a mindset that makes things a little bit more difficult. You just don't, I know if I eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches most of the day, I just probably wouldn't be that motivated. Wouldn't even want to move. That <laughs> stuff just shuts me down. <laughs> yeah, you know? it really does. It mellows you out. makes yeah. you kind of tired, groggy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a, I am interested in what he has to say about diet, but I'm really, I'm really curious because I know he worked with um, MJ and Kobe, but he also worked with, I think, Tiger Woods. Um, and... Dwayne Wade, Wade. Yeah. Dwayne Wade. So I'm really curious to see like, cause I remember during the, uh, the documentary, the MJ doc, what was it called? Oh yeah. Remember? Uh, oh, last dance, the last dance. It's like MJ was like, ah, I took that personally. I took mm-hmm. that. Like every, he took everything personally. So I wonder about that. Cause Tim probably has some insight into what that is or what that was. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that's going to come from this one. Yeah, did any of you guys check out uh, Relentless, the book? Yeah. Yeah. But he, his, I haven't checked out his new one called mm-hmm. Winning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's a, it sounds like a really cool one. But yeah, Relentless is good. I think it was like, are you a cleaner? Are you a closer? Mm-hmm. Or there was, a, there was another one. But I think ideally, you want to be a cleaner? Yeah, because I think cleaner was the one that like wouldn't do it for the hype. But then like a closer would get hyped up. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And then the cleaner kind of just like he didn't like wait to be asked he just went and cleaned up got it you know so rose everybody else up around him too yeah yeah just getting links sent out everything good to go how was your guys weekend great i uh escaped to bodega for a few days with uh my daughter and uh my wifey Mm -hmm. and i don't know where jake was i'm not sure what he was Mm -hmm. doing now jake Jake was chilling at home and he was, uh, he had like some school project type stuff that he had to do over the weekend. So he kind of kicked it with his grandpa. Um, come to find out though, the reason why the boy woke up early on a Saturday to help with this job fair Uh-oh. was because of a girl. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I was like, I knew it. I was like, I, I knew you weren't going to like be all motivated to Don't do some blast shit him on air. Yeah. I was like, I knew you weren't going to be all motivated to do some shit on a Saturday. I know you got to, got to blast him on air. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. It's a, you know, I'm not going to say it. they had this uh, uh, job fair thing set up at his school mm-hmm. and the kids set it up and my dad took some video and uh, my dad was like, it was amazing it, it looks was, cool yeah, yeah. I, I seen uh, it was on the news and stuff well, really? news, yeah uh, yeah i seen matt posted stuff on twitter about it and you know if i didn't have stuff going on it would have been cool to take jasmine to go see that but 
you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, oh, good for them. But I didn't actually get a chance to check <laughs> right. it out. What did they do? Oh, they're just like selling stuff. Like kids had uh, some projects they've been working on and some kids like made stuff, you know, some kids made some uh, art type of stuff. Some kids made t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids just sold like whatever stuff they found interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they set up this job fair and there was, I, my dad said there was a shit ton of people there. There was nowhere to park. And oh, shit. they said it was, uh, it was a big success. So kind of neat because they allow the kids to, you know, run it themselves, mm-hmm. set it up themselves, set up the tents and set up the time and schedule and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And some of those kids were making a lot of money because uh, Matt again was saying like, I remember the first time, you know, somebody made triple digits. He's like, and then I don't know if it was somebody who was waiting for somebody to make, you know, four digits or whatever. He's like, but at some point, you know, they're going to make this much. I was like, damn, that's crazy. And so I just tweeted out. I'm like, hey, can I start paying tuition right now and lock lock in today's rate right. for my mm-hmm. son? You know, it's going to be a couple of years. He's like, I like the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Acton Academy where they, you know, work on teaching you uh, what to think, you know, um, or I'm sorry, that rather they, they teach you how to think rather than like what to think. Mm. You know, where a lot of times in school, you're kind of just be, you're being fed this stuff that you have to think about because it's yeah. like on the test and they don't really teach you about uh, how to think. And I think with today's guest that we have on today, I think this is a, a major key factor in figuring out ways of getting ahead, figuring out ways to win is to start to develop your own thought process and start to develop. I mean, how many people do we run into that? when they tell us how they became successful in this one particular thing, we're always like, really? Like, sounds like too simple. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, what about this? And they say, nope, I did it this way. <laughs> and they just stare at you like you're the dumbest person ever. And you're like, no, that actually makes sense though. You did that consistently for a long time. Yeah. You trailblazed your own path and you stuck to your guns. And because you stuck to your guns, you weren't flip-flopping back and forth between these, uh, what everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And you you stuck with it, you stuck to it, you had consistency, and there you are. What do you think about, like, because we've had, you know, numerous guests where we ask about, like, the struggle or, like, you know, like, oh, was it, did you have a hard time when you were, you know, like, Mark, you're driving around that van where you, the, the, you broke the horn and all that <laughs> stuff. Like, how did you get through it? Like, how hard was it? And, da, da, da. and it's like, it seems like everyone's like, oh, it actually wasn't too bad. Is it just because people forget or, like, what do you think, what, what is that? I think there's an ugly side of winning. You know, there's an ugly side of victory. And the only way that you're going to be victorious, the only way you're going to win is to be able to error correct and be able to find the errors of your ways and find uh, what you're weak at. And my weakness certainly was like organization. My weakness was I was only dedicated and only into this like one thing, which was powerlifting. And uh, I just, I, I was closed minded a lot of times. Um, I actually remember like the start of super training gym um, was because I had a conversation with myself in my, in my shitty van where it just hit me. I was like, my friend just told me about this new gym that's opening up and I was actually kind of a dick to him. I was like, I already got my own gym, which I already did uh, in Natomas, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a 900 square foot, just little warehouse spot. And um, I could barely <laughs> afford the rent there each month. And I was like, that's really close minded to me. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I was kind of a dick to him. I was like, I need to call him up and go check out this gym. And that gym was Midtown Strength and Conditioning. I was able to work out a deal because they didn't have much equipment. I brought my equipment there 
and they just wanted bodies in there. They wanted it to be exciting in there. So I was able to have a free rent for almost a full year. Whoa. That free rent allowed me to start Power Magazine. It allowed me to start Slingshot because wow. I just, it opened up my bandwidth because I wasn't worried. I wasn't concerned about money or the rent or uh, my mind wasn't so single-minded on like, how am I going to make this work? Like that part was taken away. It was taken out of the equation. And once that was, uh, and a couple other things happened in my life too, that, uh, that where that sort of thing happened, but just being open-minded, like really open the doors, uh, for many, many, many other things. That's a tough thing though. Like trying to be like, when I think of some of the guys that like maybe Tim has trained, um, it's like you have to have like, yeah, you have to be open-minded to certain things, but you also have to be very close-minded to a lot of noise around you. Because there's probably going to be a lot of people in your ear telling you what you should do or what you mm. like ways you should go about things because of like where you're trying to get or what you're trying to do. So it's like, how do you know that what you're doing is right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine right? being a pro athlete too. And, and you have so many people pulling you in so many different directions. Uh, some people want to just clamor on to your fame. Some people just want your money. It's hard to really know who's, you know, who, who really wants to help someone like a Bones Jones. Mm -hmm. And then why would Bones Jones even think that he needs help? Like he, he would have to, uh, be open-minded, mm -hmm. you know, and Jordan, um, Jordan's story with, uh, with Tim is pretty amazing. I guess Tim, uh, may <laughs> sent letters out to a bunch of members of Chicago Bulls. That's right. And, uh. <laughs> He sent letters to just about everybody except for except for Jordan because he was like, I'm just, no way. I'm just a young guy. It's like he doesn't need my help. Jordan actually is like two years older than him. And he was like, he already, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's already the best. Yeah. Like there's no point. And uh, Jordan was actually the only one to respond to it because Jordan heard the other players talking about it. Like you get this letter from this trainer guy who wants to like, and Jordan was kind of like, like what is this about like what like who is this guy like why did he he sent a message to all of us he went through all that work and i didn't get a letter yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you leave me out? well kind of made him mad it kind of made him interested and curious right and i took it personally yeah <laughs> i love he, that meme and he said yeah i took it personally and i said i'm gonna buy that person for the next 15 years and that's kind of what he did yeah he literally <laughs> paid him to not work with anybody else yeah Fuck. hobie's trainer was the same way when uh one of my friends used to be a personal trainer for Kobe and he would just spend all day with him. And the guy was like, I'm not allowed to train anybody else except for occasionally like in the off season and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's amazing how these different things happen, but Jordan had to be open-minded to recognize. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jordan was getting his ass kicked, you know, at that time he was kicking a lot of ass. He was scoring champion rookie of the year, won a dunk competition. Like he, he, he was, already had a logo you know what i mean like he already had a logo on a shoe like and he's like I, no one ever done that before mm -hmm. you know so now it's like okay well everyone's got a shoe in the league but uh it, it was all Recording on convention progress whoa whoa hey now didn't know it did that that's pretty cool mm -hmm. you you getting buying new technology over there andrew maybe that was interesting <laughs> but yeah that that uh you know with jordan um you know he was just curious and he probably felt hey i need to be bigger and i need to be stronger because the pistons keep knocking the shit out of me yeah yeah and that's the crazy thing though how much weight that he put on so quickly i don't even know if it was quickly but like his body was like he was pretty thin but then he just put on some meat you see the pictures of like him and tim training it's pretty it's pretty insane but 
Yeah, I'm curious too, like what kind of stuff he had those guys do. Because you see pictures, but I don't really know exactly what they did. And if he changed it, like obviously he probably got, he did different things with Kobe, but I wonder if it was just a lot of the same stuff because it worked for Michael. I think we'll at see. that, I think at that time, um, a lot of people were probably scared to train athletes a certain oh, way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays it's, you know, it's a little bit easier. You know, if a high level athlete came to me, I would be like, all right, we'll have you pull the sled and let's have you do. And I, if they could squat, I would have them do some squats. If they could deadlift, I would have, you know, but it, it also makes a lot of sense for a lot of the coaches and trainers that aren't a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. It's, a lot of times what they do is get out of the guy's way Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they stretch them and they have them do prehab and rehab stuff. And that's about all you'll see sometimes from some of these guys. So Tim Grover, I mean, if you watched a lot of those uh, things that Jordan was doing, I'm sure there was a bunch of stuff that Jordan couldn't do or that he didn't like that. Just if you don't like the certain movements or they hurt a certain way, I don't think there's a reason to really force them. Maybe there's a reason to look into why they hurt in the first place, but um, they're doing a lot of barbell exercises. They're mm-hmm. doing a lot of compound exercises and, um, you know, good on Tim to have the courage to even like take him down that road. But he's smart enough to know, like, this is the best way to get results. It doesn't matter that it's the best player in the world. I'm going to, I want him to have the best results possible. And so this is the way we're going to go about doing it. That's the thing too. I wonder like, because I feel like if you're training somebody like that, um, they kind of, they're able to bully people around to do what they want to do. Right. So when dealing with these individuals, I wonder if like he ever did get like bullied by Jordan or by Kobe or by Woods, because you can imagine those guys have that. Like if a trainer says do this and they don't want to, well, they are goats, (laughs) right? Do you, do you still try to make them do said thing or do you cower and cave and, and do something that's more to their liking? Yeah. I've heard from some people that were working with Brett Favre. They just said, we just get out of his way. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, that's the worst. Like, mm. but he was, Brett Favre was older. He was already a hall of famer, you know? And so it's, that's probably the easiest thing to do is just to not deal with that personality. You know, that, per, that these people have strong personalities. And so it probably takes a lot of energy mm-hmm. to, uh, to deal with them or to try to convince them of certain things. And so you just try not to get them hurt, try to get them more fit and try not to get them hurt. I think is what a lot of people do. I'm also curious how much like these guys actually spend on, on like training. Like, cause you hear about LeBron and it's like 1.5 or something right. a year wow. on not just training, but just taking care of his body. One, you wonder, does he really have to spend that much? I mean, I, I get, I mean, it does pay for itself at the end of the day um, because of how much he makes, but like, like what, are, what, what is he getting charged for? <laughs> you know? Cause I mean, he's probably has like a personal chef and, and uh, someone who like cooks all his food and like, does his nutrition, but that he has a trainer, probably a masseuse, maybe a chiropractor. Yeah. What else? We'd have to check his books. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if some of like, you know, what you were saying about like the, the bullying, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm me. So you do this and that. Uh, if some of it came into play when, you know, he like hits up Tim in the middle of the night during the playoffs and was like, Hey, we need to meet tonight. You know, like in the middle of the night and he, you know, Jordan was flying back and forth between Chicago and wherever the heck they were playing. I always thought that that was crazy, but yeah, you know, he had to get his head right with Tim and it's like, that's amazing. But I wonder like, hey, was Tim down? Like, you know, how, how does that, you know, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, just how does that relationship work? You know, were they like actually friends or did he be like, 
he got that phone call like oh shit here we go again Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) curious yeah and that's the crazy thing that just shows like i guess how good of a coach he was because obviously he understood the physical side of things and how to get somebody in shape um but like he was needed to kind of like tune up these guys mentally you would think that they already have it all together mentally being Mm -hmm. who they are and to the type of athletes they are but they needed to talk to this trainer to give them the right words or give them the right type of mindset to do what they do. So like that means that he just has something that mm-hmm. most people don't necessarily understand. I also think if it's sometimes simple, but very difficult to grasp is that if you feel like you're not where you want to be uh, in a particular field, career, physique, strength level, um, and you're, you know, feel like you're not making any progress, then you just need to probably look at, you know, evaluate what you're doing and maybe even look at just like doing the opposite. Like what are, you know, what are some things that are preventing you from moving forward? Usually it's only like one or two things for most people. It's usually not, it's usually not a big deal. It's usually not like, it's not like you're doing everything wrong, especially for people that already are uh, invested in trying to get better. But I think it's a good, like, where do you spend your time? You hear people talk about that because that's normally what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you only lock into what you believe you're interested in and you're not open-minded to trying new things, then you might be missing out on other things that you could potentially be interested in that you could start to implement into your life that could help move you forward as well. So it gets to be really tricky to try to, to try to really balance any of that out. Yeah. And I do also like, uh, we have to save all these things for the show anyway, but mm-hmm. I'm very curious about Kobe's like athletic ability. Like, cause you hear all the things he says, right? That, Oh, he wasn't this and he wasn't that. And you kind of get it. But like, was that like legit or like, cause he was obviously, if you make it into the NBA, you have athleticism and there were more athletic guys than him in the NBA, but how much did he have to really push for his personal athleticism was, is what I'm curious about. Like, you know, some guys have it naturally, like really well that just mm. it hits him. I'm curious if he was one of those guys too. Yeah, he's probably grading himself pretty harshly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. He probably has a, a pretty damn good skill set. But mm-hmm. I think what he means by it is like there's some guys that can like jump up and touch the top of the backboard, uh-huh. you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe he's talking about like he didn't have that ability. Maybe yeah. there's a handful of guys even just on his own team that were faster or quicker, mm-hmm. you know, but he's because he's studied the game so much and studied like how, you know, how to do it rather than just um, being relying on pure strength or speed. Uh, he's probably referring to being more calculated and just putting all everything together through a lot of work, a lot mm-hmm. of repetitions. Yeah. That was the first I've heard of that. I mean, I remember when Kobe, yeah, he, he won the dunk contest, right? Like his first did year. He? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. And I'll look it up just to make sure because you're looking at me like that, but because <laughs> now you got me questioning it, but I'm pretty sure he did. And, you know, he came you know, out of high school, so he was already, I mean, fucking Kobe. What did he score, like 80 points in a game or something? Yeah, 81. 81. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, you know, like recent Yeah, he won years. the 97 dunk contest. There you go. I think he might have even entered yeah. the three-point. No, he ended no, up he, surpassing Jordan in the uh, points. uh for his career and stuff like that too yeah he's uh he's unbelievable it must be hard to work with all these different (laughs) personalities too oh yeah um 
And especially because Tim Grover said when he met Jordan, you know, when he first started communicating with him, he was like, Jordan's like two years older than him. So that's kind of a weird dynamic too, even though that mm-hmm. literally doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's just, uh, I could see how that would make you maybe a little bit more unsure of yourself. So he must have a tremendous amount of confidence as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I think after working with Jordan, like, you know, <laughs> it, mu- it must have been easier to deal with all the other athletes because everyone's like, oh, this was Jordan's guy. Right. So there's already a level of respect right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then even for himself, like to have the confidence oh. to tell Kobe to do this and that. It's Easily. like, oh, this is I've been here before. Like, you're the best in the league okay i've <laughs> i've seen your type it's like damn he's the only one that actually has i'm so sad i haven't read this book man the, the new one winning yeah. yeah like i read relentless a, a long time ago but mm-hmm. this one this one sounds so cool and i argh, i'm getting it today so many books to get to through over the past couple of weeks that's why audiobooks are so great yeah i don't know i, I gotta i i gotta not myself too thin yeah. with books because then i forget shit like i'm trying to remember stuff out of relentless and i'm having a hard time going back in the archives in my head right now it's easy to do that like it's easy to get like caught up in like oh like this new one and this new one mm-hmm. it, it really is easy to do that but i don't know you, you learn something you learn something there, there are the small tidbits in every little new book that you get into mm-hmm. it's not good to have too many i guess but it's like you, you're always taking up new stuff, right? Like you're always, always yeah. listening to shit in, mm-hmm. in your car. So, yeah. Yeah, it seems like YouTube videos can stick a little bit better. Maybe because it's just smaller. Get right to the point. Just get on TikTok. Even smaller. One minute video. TikTok yeah. search. <laughs> Boom. Done. I like, uh, I like, um, so Derek will do it. And then um, Greg Doucette will like kind of our uh, uh critique tiktok like fitness videos yeah, yeah yeah and it's so funny because like you know they have a minute so they can only do so much but then on top of that if the information is like you know inaccurate it's just like it it, it starts off bad and then it gets really really bad really fast yeah but that's that's the thing as time goes by like people want to take in information in a faster and faster way. I mean, yeah. There is the internet where everything is at your fingertips. There's YouTube where everything was in short videos. There's Instagram where everything was in shorter videos. And there's TikTok <laughs> where everything's in shorter videos. It's like, we just want it. And then soon we're going to have an implant that's just going to oh, yeah. load it into our yeah. fucking brain so we don't I even have to read it anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's harder for older generations to see how the newer generation uh. can win or can, uh, do well you know you always hear and it happens every time you know every time there's a new generation Mm -hmm. um the older generation is complaining about it saying you know we hear often that we're soft you know that america is really soft. and i you know i guess maybe in comparison to the way that we used to do things but are we soft or are we just smarter than we used to be like are we just finding um just because you consume something in one minute as opposed to read something over the course of 30 days doesn't necessarily mean that you're soft. It might mean that you're smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might mean that you're advancing. And so, and then also, I don't know, you know, where, where you would place blame. Uh, society uh, used to hold books in higher regard than yeah. they do currently. And it, there, books will always probably be in some, they'll be, they'll always have a standard, I guess, because there is information in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of see what I'm getting now. Like, I think yeah. every generation's like, ah, oh, these kids are, the country's going soft. Mm-hmm. I think more people are like getting used to not sweating the absolute details. Cause that's the, that's the thing you'll see in, in terms of like newer stuff or let's say TikTok. Like 
there's there's the big idea type of information like this is the big concept but they don't like people don't care about the small details of everything and that's i think that's that's something that's hard for people to wrap their heads around so quick hey so i heard uh nothing but horrible things from andy frisella sal frisella <laughs> gunner peterson you know we ran some background checks and everyone has just nothing but terrible things to say about you so it's great to get you on the show and find out all the horrible things that you know about winning today. <laughs> I know this is a long time coming, guys. I appreciate your patience, though. Yeah, thank you so much. What I wanted to start out with today is uh, I've heard you more recently talking about kind of this uglier side of winning that you don't really hear talked about. And I love the fact that you're putting it into the context of that uh, winning is a language. You hear that sometimes with love. It's like kind of hard to explain uh, what falling in love is it's sometimes hard to be descriptive of what winning is uh but when someone is winning they they know what it is and when some when two winners talk uh they may speak a language that might not land on someone that has not had that has not enjoyed a lot of success just yet and so i find that to be really uh really fascinating one of my favorite oh you got your dog there huh Oh yeah, yeah. He's just, just like every pot, every pot. Okay, he's got to, he's got to be. In the he show. loves to be on the. Oh, <laughs> he loves, yes, he loves to be all, on the show. All, all five, all five pounds of him. He's a. All right. One of my uh, <laughs> one of my favorite songs of all time is uh, "We Are the Champions" from Queen. And in the beginning right. of the song, and I think people don't listen to this part, but the actual song starts out by saying, "I paid my dues time after time." I've done my sentence, but committed no crime. And I think that's what winning is. It's like you have to go through some tough shit sometimes in order to come out the other end a winner. Not sometimes, all the time. That's the thing that people, that's why they quit. You know, everybody wants, everybody wants the rainbows. They want the sprinkles. They want the confetti. They want all that stuff. And, and that's what we look at and we admire and all that. But no one talks about the the road in between those things where majority of the time is spent. It's majority of the time is spent. I mean, you know, look at, listen, you guys work out. Obviously I work out people. No one wants to talk about what we do every single day to feel this way, to look this way, the grind. And it's just like, Oh, do you, you must love working out. No, if you're doing working out right, no one loves working out. All right. Uh, you, you may enjoy the results. You enjoy what it does for you and the feel. But the actual workout itself, is, if it's, nothing, it's nothing fun. It's those dues being paid every single day, every single minute. And the results are not promised. They're not, they are just not promised. And this book, what I did was I wrote, it's not about the glory. It's not about the payday. It's about the obstacles, challenges, and the pains you go through just to be in this race, just to have winning notice you, just to say, hey, listen, I'm here. Pay, atten pay attention to me. And one day you don't, it turns its back and it finds somebody else. And that's what it takes to win every single day. And you can only win if you are, you have to learn from losses, right? And I, I found it uh, really interesting, uh, your story about uh, getting your ass kicked playing basketball when you were in college by a high school kid. Uh, 
So if you could share some of that story with us, I think that was <laughs> interesting because that ended up being a great pivot point for you in your life. Yeah, you know, I was a, I was a sophomore back then. I was like, all right, playing for a D one school. I thought I had a little a little thing to my game, and this <laughs> and there was this kid that came into Jimmy. He was a junior. Actually, I know him very well now. I actually tra- ended up training him. It was Tim Hardaway. All right, Tim Hardaway Senior, not ju- not junior. Tim Hardaway Senior, and he was a junior. He was a junior in high school, and he was shooting around in the basket. I wanted to get a little workout in, so I say, hey, let's play a little one on one. Man, he kicked my ass from the from the <laughs> get go uh, until the end. I mean, it, it wasn't even it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And this is a kid that I literally had four years of experience on knowledge and all that other stuff. So you got a chance to understand, like, hey, man, in order to keep winning at this, how important those losses are because with each loss gives you more confidence if you do it correctly. If you don't sit, if you don't put your head down, you understand, hey, with every loss that I'm going to get, with every failure that I'm going to get, it's my ability to get a little bit more confident in my abilities, who I am, what I need to work on. Am I headed in the right, am I headed in the right direction? So it was, it was an eye opener. It literally set me straight about any aspirations I had about making money playing playing this game of basketball, which I already knew, but that kind of set me straight and said, all right, listen, now we need to win it. This road, this road to winning is detouring in a different direction. Not a bad guy to have a loss to one of the best dribblers, like in the history of basketball. <laughs> uh, 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 unbelievable. I mean, people forget about the killer crossover and all the <laughs> things that he, he used to be able to do. And Yeah. So from that, I guess from that loss, did you immediately think, okay, uh, I need a course correct and I'm going to start maybe thinking of training people? Or did you do some other things before you were like, okay, I'm going to be a basketball trainer. I'm going to work with these athletes. Well, no, you know what I did? I was all, I was studying my exercise science and kinesiology during, during that time. But, you know, every kid has an aspiration of say, Hey, listen, you know, maybe I can play basketball overseas. It wasn't uh, obviously, it wasn't what it was at the level it is now. Mm. But when you see something like that, it, it's a sign. It, it, it's a sign. And what happens is people try to defy some things for too long period of time, and they said they, they're trying to they're trying to go somewhere where it's just it, it, it's not possible. It's just not it's just not going to happen. So that was another. It was a moment. I, I, did I pivot right away? No. But it kind of set the parameters a little bit. Hey, listen, you might be better off going in a different direction. And as I finished off my uh, degrees, you know, you go through school and everything teaches you what to think. You have all your books, you have your education, just like when everybody works out. They tell you, hey, these are the exercises. This is how many sets you do. This is how many reps you do. Here's what you need to eat. All of a sudden, people take the stuff from the uh, from the Internet or from Instagram or from my days out of the ma- out of the muscle magazines and you go in the gym, everything tells you what uh, everything tells you what to do. That loss and that ability gave me the thought of how to think, not just what to think, because if I, if everything about what to think, I would have continued to train the same path, kept doing the same way, kept on the same thing. I was like, you know what, how can I still be involved with professional athletes but not from a playing standpoint. And I kind of started to put a lot more focus in on the training, on the training and my book aspect of it. 
that was one of the moments. There were many others, but that was one that kind of like got me started. And on that note, like you mentioned, you know, in school, you're, you're kind of taught how to think, et cetera. But when you started working with some of these athletes, like let's say the, the, the biggest athlete we know right now is like MJ, right? Um, mm-hmm. In what way did, did he think differently? Because I, I'm curious how you went into that situation. I don't know if you've worked with an athlete that had thought process like that before, but what caught you off guard with the way that he potentially went about things? And were you ready for that? Well, it's great. He was my first professional athlete. Oh, whoa. Okay. So yeah, he was my, he was my first professional athlete. So not, not a bad person to start with, but what I did before that, I worked at a local health club and people don't realize back in the early eighties, the minimum wage was $3 and 35 cents. So with a mat, with a master's degrees, with a master's degree, you know, you have those parents that are like, Hey, your ass ain't sitting at home. You finish school. You got to go do something. All right. So I took the job at a local health club, which was actually a real big step for me on how to think. Because again, I had all the book, I had all the book experience, but I had very little experience in actual the practicality of uh, the training part. Mm-hmm. So I went and took a job in that health club, worked my way up to trainers, started working with everybody that, from the the people that just wanted to lose weight from the recreational tennis athlete, from the kids that wanted to be able to run better. So I got a chance to really, really work on my craft. And it gave me ability to, to implement things that you just knew were right, but there was no books or anything that tells you, hey, this is the way to do things. So when I actually got the chance to meet Michael and talk to him, he had some, he had some ideas about training. He said, like, listen, I'm getting tired of taking the physical abuse from the Detroit Pistons. I, I want to get bigger and stronger, you know. And I said, well, why do you want to get big, bigger and stronger? He goes, well, so I can, you know, I can hit them back and it'll make me a, be- it'll make me a better, uh, make me a better athlete. And I kind of pushed back on it. And I was just like, well, I said, you have a lot of nagging injuries that you constantly have. You know, your hamstring pulls, your uh, ankle, your ankle injuries, um, uh, your groin pulls. I said, let's address those things first. Let's address the injury part first. And then if we address those things, you'll automatically be a better athlete. You'll already be able to run higher. You'll already be able to move faster. You'll already be able to play, uh, play better defense. So let's address those things. And what we started to do was we broke the body down into, you know, into different sides, left, right, up, down, all these, you know, I don't want to get into the different planes and all that kind of stuff. But we were like, okay, you spend most of the time on the basketball court going in this direction, using this side here. We need to, so there's automatically going to be an imbalance here. So what we need to do is have different weights for one arm and one leg and different weights for the other arm and different leg, different reps and so forth. No one ever told me back then that said, Hey, listen, you know, on the, on the, on the right leg, we want you to do, seven reps and on the left leg we want you to do 13 and use different weights on those on those sides people like what the hell are you doing you know but it just made sense to me it just said why why overload one side more than the other when one side is getting used so much more than the other let's keep the balance keep the balances equally and balance the body out so once i started explaining those things to him and my and mike was very in tune to his body he was just like He's like, yeah, this, I don't know if this makes sense. I said, well, let's try it out for 30 days. And then after 30 days, if it doesn't, I'll leave. 
30 days turned into 30 days turned into 15 years. And he knew I was just as competitive as he was. And, you know, the way Michael played the game was like, like nobody that played the game that nobody played the game. So he really enjoyed somebody who not only knew what to think, but also how to think. I love what you said there about the uh, imbalances, you know, when we're bench pressing, squatting, deadlifting, sometimes we could have one side that actually is pretty messed up and we can get through it because the other side may pull you through it. If you have a hundred pounds on your back, one side might be uh, lifting, you know, 70 pounds and the other side might only be lifting 30 pounds. And we, as, as power lifters, as many of us are, and many of the people that listen to the show, strength athletes, we just, we just push it to the side because we don't have to demonstrate our, our strength and athleticism the same way, but it would really benefit us a lot too, to do some of these single leg movements to re-examine. I've had lifters in the past that we had one guy that actually bench pressed 900 pounds and he, he benched, uh, really, uh, really, uh, off balance. He benched very, very crooked. Uh, his left side was always lower than his right, uh, at lockout. So I just had him actually do uh, all of his training. I had him shift over, which would, you know, you would normally wouldn't think that that would work, but his pinky was on the ring on one side and his index finger was on the uh, power ring on the other oh, side. Wow. And he, and when he benched that way, he benched straight. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and, and, and let me tell you, but did anybody teach you that? That was just, that was a how to think moment. That was just exactly. like, you know what? This is, hey, just make this little, sh- just make this little shift, uh, make this shift over here. There's no book that's going to explain you that. I mean, there may be now, but when you were talking about right there, it just made sense. You were just like, you figured out how to connect your own, connect your own dots. And instead of copying, instead of copying somebody else's, just like you guys do with the show. As a, as a kid, you know, I idolized, uh, Bo Jackson and Mike Tyson and obviously Jordan. I was a huge sports fan and was always all obsessed with these uh, different players and what they were able to do and accomplish. But I didn't really realize that my real hero was in my own household. It was my dad. And I didn't recognize that till I got older and got more <laughs> mature and have my own children now and stuff like that. Uh, but I think you share the same sentiment, right? I think that your dad was a hero to you growing up, right? Oh, that, that definitely. I mean, just to watch here's the thing, you know, you have a lot of individuals that they go through their lives and they just grind. They just grind. You hear this thing all the time, grind, grind, grind. All right. My dad grinded with a purpose, you know, because if you just grind all the time, let's just say, man, I'm always grinding. I'm always grinding. If you continue to grind, what are you going to end up with? You're going to end up with dust. (laughs) You're literally going to dust. My dad grinded with a purpose. He knew what he wanted his life for himself, for my mom, for my brother, and, and for me to be. So what he was grinding for was to form a shape, to form something out of the grind. So he knew what he had to add and what he had to take away in order to get that. And to watch him do that year after year after year, coming from a completely different culture, different uh, country, and telling his his mom that, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm going to raise my, I'm going to raise my kids differently. This is the way I'm going to do things. That leaves an imprint. That leaves an imprint on you. You know, people like to talk stuff, but when you, no matter how young you are, when you see those things over and over and over again, it's just like what you said, it may not leave an impression on you that time, but later on in like you like, man, you know, you know why I'm this way is because I literally had an example of it 
every single day. I, I watch them go through these different obstacles. I watch them go through things that, you know, we couldn't even, we couldn't even imagine. And they always, they just kept winning over and over and over again. And how can that not be your hero? It seemed like your dad had the same uh, mindset that you have where his mind was stronger than his feelings. Yeah. And you know what? Your mind has to be stronger than your feelings. Think about, I always say this, it, even us guys, think about every single poor decision that we've made. Every single one. All right. We're, your feelings were probably stronger than your mind. In every single, every single one of those things, you know, in the chapter in the book, it's called winning isn't heartless, but you use your heart less. And if anybody watched the last dance, you got to see, you got to see that you got to see MJ do it. You got to see the way Kobe did Kobe did it. And, you know, we want to make feel We want to make decisions with our feelings because we're worried about we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. We don't want to hurt their thoughts and so forth. So we'll make a poor decision to sac- to sacrifice somebody, uh, somebody else's the way they want to feel. And I'm an individual. I have one major problem. I always tell the truth. I always tell the truth. But it's funny. Everybody asks for honesty until you're honest with them. All right. Then they no longer then they no longer want to hear from you. But think about the individuals that have a hard time getting up in the morning. And, you know, for obviously you guys, you guys where the level where you're at and the clientele, majority of the clients where you guys are at, you don't have to worry about that. But think about it. What keeps you in bed? And when they say, ah, I'm going to skip this workout, I don't want to do it. It's your feelings. You know, I'll roll over, take an extra 10 minutes, hit the snooze button. Ah, you could skip today. You could skip today's workout. Well, what gets you out of bed? Your mind gets your butt out of bed. Your mind gets your butt out of bed. Feelings make you overthink everything. They make you overthink everything. Your mind makes decisions. Your mind makes decisions. That's the first step. You have to make the decision, and then you have to act on that decision. Your feelings don't want you to make decisions. They want you to make suggestions because they always give you an out. Their suggestions always give you an out. And with that, with those feelings, they get to choose which suggestion is best for them. Your mind understands this is the best, this is the best decision. This is what I'm this is what I'm gonna go with. All right. Feelings hold on to things. Your literally feelings hold on to things. All right. Your mind, it can handle disappointment and failure. You learn from it. All right. You learn from it. I always say this. What's a, the, the elite, elite athletes, your elite people in business. All right. They got the shortest memories. They got the shortest memories. They don't they don't forget. They don't forget. But they don't constantly think about it all the time. They don't constantly think about it. You know, if, they, if you you know, in the powerlifting game, if you have somebody who's constantly thinking about the weight they couldn't do, well, that means they're not in the moment for the weight that's literally under the under where they are right now. So those feelings kind of hold on to those things, all of those things. Michael always used to say, you know, why should I worry about a shot I've never taken? Why should I worry about a shot I've never taken? You know, control your thoughts, control your emotions, you control your actions. And I hate, and this is another adage. (laughs) 
How many times have you guys heard this? I know you guys deal with a lot of athletes. You know, play with emotion. Play with emotion. No, don't play with emotion. Play with freaking energy. That's what you want to play with. Because, all right, so if you tell me, hey, you tell eight guys play with emotion, they're going to choose five different emotions. Mm-hmm. All right? But you know the energy, energy is the same. The energy is the same. And what, how do you create that energy? That mind creates that energy. You know, you have that physical energy and you have that, you have that, you have that mental energy where, you know, when you guys have people who's trying to lift that 900 pounds or whatever, whatever they're trying, whatever they're trying to do that absurd amount of, absurd amount of weight. It's like, yeah, they're physically there, but what's the, what's the last thing they do before they get underneath that bar? They're getting that. They're getting that energy in that mind. They're getting that. They're, they're, they're getting that clarity up there to do something that less than point oh 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 one percent of the world can probably do. Did you have uh, feelings over what your dad was doing for a living when he uh, handed you a saw when you were six years old, or or was that like, oh, this is just what my dad does to make money? This is his job. It's just like you, you know what? It's when he handed that. This is. You know, my dad was a very educated man in the old country. It was just, but you know, when he came over here, his education didn't. They told him it's not, you know, it 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 doesn't qualify for you to teach here. She said, "All right." So he ended up taking whatever job, whatever job was available. I've seen you done your homework. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. All right, and it was just like back then. My parents couldn't afford babysitters. My mom was a, a nurse practitioner. She worked the night shift. My dad worked the my dad worked the day shift. All right. So when <laughs> when there was no when there was no school, all right. Mom came home from work. She had to she had she had to sleep. And my dad was like, "All right, you guys come. You guys you guys are coming. Over, you guys are coming to work for us." And we got a chance to see what you know what my what he actually did. And you know he turned. He's just like there. He goes. He had, he handed me that bone saw and said, "Listen, sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do, but this is how I provide for my family right now. And I want you to under I want you to understand I want you to understand this I want you to understand this lesson. And you know, he just like here, you, you guys you guys can't sit, you know." There's no internet. There's no PlayStation. There's no little phones that were so you know you have two you have two kids sitting around. You got to keep them busy. You got to keep them busy. Uh, is it the <laughs> is it the ideal way to keep you busy? No, but that during that time during that moment he was teaching he was teaching uh, he was teaching us a lesson and we visited that that lesson quite often. You're like dismembering bodies or something like that, right? Because Yes, in medical, it, it, you know, back in medical school, I don't know how the things are now, but, you know, you have cadavers after each after each semester, each quarter, you, you have to you have to get rid of them because the new body, the new bodies are coming in and the bodies are filled with formaldehyde and different uh, and different fluids. Ooh. And you just can't you just can't throw them in a garbage truck. You, you, you have to literally incinerate them. You can't lift a 500 pound body. In, and throw it into an incinerator. So you have to dismember. You have to dismember the different body parts. You have to dismember the arms, the legs, and the thing. So you can actually throw in. So that's. I was the original Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I was the original. I was your. I was the original. I was the original Dexter. So <laughs> in that in that thing. So I mean, you, you didn't think you didn't think much. You didn't think anything of it. It's just like you know, you see, you see, in different cultures, you see people hunting and you see different things. So. When that's where your brain is trained, that's that's just the way it is. It's a little different than helping your dad rake leaves, but not yeah, too much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we lived in a high, we, you know, we rented an apartment in high rise, and there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of ra- leaves to rake during that time. <laughs> that so this it makes me curious because you were just talking about like you know not doing things based off of emotion, you know, using your mind. Now, now I'm curious in the way some of these guys think. Uh, or how they go about things because we we've had talks with a lot of like high level athletes here. Right. And we've always asked like how they go about getting ready for a big lift or preparing their mind. Right. And some people t- like say, I get rid of emotion. Um, I try not to think I go paced off of pure instinct. There's some people that pull from negative emotions or negative energy. Right. Um, but I feel that that can be very distracting if you, but I'm curious with guys like MJ, when you hear them talking guys like Kobe, it's, it seems like they did pull from a lot of negative energy. And I'm curious how that works. Or am I wrong? Oh, they pulled from everything. See, that's what these individuals, so you got to pull from the negative. You got to pull from the positive. You got to pull from the up. You got to pull from the down. You got to know what energy to use during, during that particular, during that particular time. Mm. So what I, you know, what I like to talk about is it, it it's, I gave it a term as the dark side. All right. And the dark side, this isn't about vampires. This isn't about star Wars. It's not about, it's about a place that you go in your mind that nobody else knows about. It's, it's a thing that keeps you going when nothing else will. It's that inter it's that internal fire. So what these individuals do is they go to places where either people doubted them or when they had their failures and they remember those things over and over and over again because they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to those things. And what you said is when you talk about the negative energy, negative emotion, it's not emotions. You go to one emotion. It's very important because if you have all these negative emotions coming in, then they start to form their own energy, which will basically overtake what you're trying to do. So you have to find that one negative emotion or that one positive emotion or that one that creates clarity for you, that creates physical and mental clarity that allows you to focus at the highest, highest level. And when I talk about this dark side, it's something that's unique to each individual. You know, you take an individual who's been raised by a broken home. You have some, you'll have an individual that will use that as a crutch their whole life. You know, I didn't have this, I didn't have that. You know, they love to use the victim mentality. And then you have another individual who went through the same circumstances, maybe in a different home. All right. And they say, watch me. They're like, what? They're like, watch me. All right. Same energy, same circumstances. How are you? How how do those how are those two individuals going, going to use them? So that energy kept that individual going when nothing else will. You know, you go to Michael. It was Michael when he getting cut from. The uh, from his high school basketball team. It's Kobe when turning pro at 17. It's everybody telling him, you're not, you know, you can't do this. And then it's him going to the first year in the playoffs and shooting all those air balls in uh, against, the, against the Utah Jazz. 
It's those things that either haunt individuals over and over again, and people like to push those things in the closet, or that dark energy is like, hey, they welcome those things because those things are going to be there with you all the time. So instead of throwing them away in the closet, figure out how to use them. Figure out how to use them. Winning requires all of you. It requires the good and bad, the emotion, the emotionalist. It requires every single part of you. The dark, the light, all of it. Now, this makes me so curious because we were talking about this a little bit before the show. But um, on the last dance, you know, you heard Michael say like it, it turned into a meme, but I took it personally. Like now, <laughs> yeah. now I'm curious, like, did, did any of these players, not just Michael, but did peep, did any of them seem to at times manufacture some darkness? Like, like they see something and then they, they take it a certain way. So that can end up being a fuel, even if it wasn't really that way. Do you see that? Do you see a trend with that or? Is that just yes. him? Yeah, no, it, it, it is. It, it, it is. And it's something that, you know, it could be you. It could be the tone of the way somebody said hi to him or the way they gave him the high five or, or anything. It is. It, it's that's that's what's internal to them. They know that's their fuel. That's their fire. Michael took everything personal, but it wasn't to prove them wrong. It was to prove himself right. That that was the thing. It wasn't like I'm not going out there to prove all these people wrong. I need to prove myself right in these situ in these situations. And that's the difference between playing with emotion and playing with energy. If you're playing trying to prove everybody wrong all the time, you're, it's it's an emotion. It's a constant emotion. If you're trying to prove yourself right, it's that it's that energy. Now you can take what somebody some what somebody else said to you. And you can exasperate it to whatever level you want to take it to and then use it the way you want to, you want to do it. It doesn't work for everyone. It works for very select few individuals who are so great at their craft that they're looking at every little thing to get that edge, to, get the, to stay on, ahead of the competition, to continue to win over and over again. These individuals... You know, you have people that compete. Everybody knows these people. They compete. All right? And they compete just to finish. That's, that's their win. They just, want, they just want to finish. All right. Now, my thought about that is individuals that compete just to finish, it's getting you closer to a win than something else. Like if you decide to run a marathon, if the, the three of us decided to run a marathon, there's no chance in hell. We're going to win that marathon. It just isn't. All right. It, it just it, it just isn't. We have a better chance of the three of us combining together to lift 900 pounds. All right. You guys, you guys do. You guys do. You guys go up and do about the, you know, 775 and then I'll take over the rest. All right. That's <laughs> but. If you if you run that marathon and you decide and you finish it, all right. What is that? What is that going to lead to to your next win? Is it just are you just finishing it or is there a purpose behind it that's going to get you to that next win? Then you have the people that that win once. They win one time and we all know those individuals. We have friends like that that tell us about the one win they had way, way back when. All right. Way back when. All right. And we're like. And we're polite to those individuals. Yes, we've heard this story eight times already. Yes, yes, we know what you did back then. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got that medal. You got that trophy. We, we, got, we got it. All right. Then you have the people that win at winning. 
And the ones that win at winning do exactly what you said. They take those little things and figure out how to continue to win at winning because they don't need motivation. Motivation is entry level. They're already at an elevated state and they have to figure out how do I elevate myself even a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And they'll take those little things that you said, I took it personally and take it and take their game to a completely different level. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious what happens to the athlete that can't get over it. The first one that comes to mind is uh, Nick Anderson missing those two free throws. It seems like it. Who was a, who was a client of mine? Really? Okay. So then you would have a lot of insight. Um, so for him, it seemed like, like after that, um, I'm, I'm a huge Kings fan. So he ended up coming uh, to play for Sacramento. And I remember any time the game was on the line, he would sprint to the ball to inbound it, to make sure he didn't get fouled to shoot these free throws. And this was like mid season. So it wasn't even a big game. So for someone like that, for someone like that, is it that the fact that it just haunted him so much or did he, just like try to run away from it to where he, he, just, ran, he never. You, you gave the perfect example of what you just said. Mm-hmm. What you just said. All right, he was running. He was. He would run out of bounds to take the ball out of line. He was running away from it. You know. You got to acknowledge it. You got to own. You got to acknowledge it. You got to own it. You got to be. You got. You got to welcome it and say, "Hey, listen. Yeah, you got me. You got me. I missed those. I, I missed those. I missed those free throws. Now what? Now what are you going to do about it?" You're either going to remember those things every time you uh, you go to the free throw line or you're going to be like, all right, listen, I need to go back, put myself in this situation again and figure out how to how to conquer this thing. I need to I need to have my mind stronger than my feelings. I need to understand that winning belongs to them and it's my job to take it. So literally winning is now saying, hey, I own you with these free throws. You want to get back to winning? You got to go and Put yourself in a situation to make these free throws over and over and over again. And he just couldn't do it. I literally I remember them sending him to me during the during the middle of the season. During the middle of the season. And just because he was so he was so mentally he was so mentally messed up. And yeah, obviously you see the guy in practice, free throw after free throw after free throw after free throw. But there's a difference for those individuals once those once those lights come on. And some people notice the lights, others don't notice the lights. He noticed the lights every single time, and he was never able to go over that. He was never able to overcome that thing. In uh, today's society, where uh, it seems like feelings are elevated uh, to an all time high, it seems like people talk about their feelings a lot more. Um, America has been accused of being soft, and we have different. I guess different ways of like learning and different ways of doing things. Now you have a lot of kids on tablets and phones and et cetera. And people are on uh, social media commenting on each other's stuff. And there's a lot of feelings flowing around <laughs> there. You know, if you go back, you know, even just a hundred years, uh, our interaction with people, we just wouldn't interact with that many people. Now we interact with potentially thousands upon thousands of people, uh, even just in a given day, depending on your social media uh, following. So what are some of your thoughts on how we can still win today? How, how can we, uh, you know, obviously through things like your book, how do we teach our youth how to win today and be maybe personally responsible for their own victories? Well, this is what I say. There's a battlefield that's going on in everybody's mind. All right. We got, 
we got enough of our own battlefield going on there. But what happens is we let everybody else, we let every other, everything, every comment, every little thought, every little thing affect us. What somebody says about what somebody says about us. So, you know, we're dealing with our own anger. We're dealing with our own fear. We're dealing with our own anxieties. Now you let all these, you let all this uh, availability have access to what is the most valuable real estate in the world, which is right in between here. And you got people and thoughts and ideas sitting in here that own that space and not even paying any rent to you. And they're constantly having these bombs go off. You know, they're constantly telling you, you can't win. This is a terrible idea. You know, this is, this is, this is never going to work. And we start, we start to believe those things. And the other thing that we also don't do is we don't, we don't let individuals fail enough. So what happens is we're, we're so busy trying to protect our, we're, we're so busy trying to protect our youth and protect ourselves and protect our images as adults and parents and so forth that we forgot what a valuable lesson failure and losing is, you know, you're going to lose more than you're going to win. That's, you know, Michael played 15 years, 15, 15 years. All right. He won six championships. So I'm not a math whiz, but I know six <laughs> is less than half of 15. So he spent more time. He spent more time losing. It was seven years before he won his first championship. Mm. It was seven years between Kobe's third championship and the fourth and the fourth championship. But during those times, every time he failed, every time they failed, and every time as an individual, this is a this is a very important lesson to the youth out there. All right. Every time you fall down, every time you fail at every fail at something, right? Don't jump right back up. Don't jump right back up. Right? Understand why you got down there. Understand why you failed. Understand why you lost. Because when you stand up, you have to stand up a different person. All right. So if you lose and fail, and you and you jump right back up, you're standing up the same individual. You're going to get knocked. You're going to get knocked down again. Society is going to kick your little, you know what, all over the place. When you fall, you fail, stay down there for a bit. When you stand up, you stand up a different person. You stand up a smarter individual. You fall and fail again. Next time you stand up, you stand up a stronger individual. You fall and fail again. Next time you stand up. You're a more resilient individual. So every time you fall and fail, you learn from those things. And how do you how do you use that thing to become a different individual in your mindset that allows you to deal with everything that's going out there? You know, it's funny. I I'm sure you guys get this all the time. I get it. You know, people love to attack you on social media. They love to attack. No matter you could you could perform the perfect exercise and somebody's like you got the form police out there saying this isn't correct this isn't that and if you literally respond to all, all those things but it's funny you put those people in the same room as you now all of a sudden they're your best friends mm. you know people don't want to face people don't want to people don't want to face criticism they don't want to face feedback because we forgot the difference between the two and there is no difference it's just high it's just how you hear it we're so busy protecting other people's feelings. We're so busy protecting our, our feelings that we're literally not letting their minds grow 
and get the stress it's needed to be able to fight those things. <laughs> do, you, do either one of you have kids, young kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got kids. Yep. All right. When you when you go out and they compete in soccer, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, the participation trophies are bigger than the winning trophy. And they expect you to clap louder for the individual that the individuals that participated than for the winners. Uh, That really doesn't work in real life. There's a lot of people in life that are just participating. There's very few people in life that are actually winning. That are actually winning. Competition matters. Results matter. Winning matters. When you go through adversity, how you handle that adversity is going to pretty much shape your thought process for the rest of your life. Did somebody constantly get you through that all the time? Did everybody tell you, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. So you're literally settling for an individual that tells you it's going to be okay. You, are we settling for okay? Are we just settling for fine? No. You know, hold yourself accountable. Understand what, the, what, you, what you did as a, as a parent. All right. Make sure the, your kids are competing in something they want to compete in, not something that missed out. You missed out on your life and you're trying to live it through. You're trying to live it for them. And you find out why that, why that, why uh, my son or daughter isn't competitive because they're competing in something they don't want to be competing in. Put them in something they want to co- compete in. You'll see exact, you'll see exactly what happens. Let them deal with, let them deal with adversity. Let them, under, let them understand some things. Your job is to protect them, but it's also to let them grow. Have you ever gotten in the line of fire of any of these individuals that you deal have dealt with? Um, <clears throat> you know, meaning, you know, it seemed like Jordan was so passionate that he would hear one little thing from some random person and he would take that and he would keep that underneath his pillow and he <laughs> would look at it every day and he would use that, you know, to get revenge on somebody. Uh, did you like, even without even meaning to, you know, say, Hey, we need to bring up the strength of your calves. And then he gets pissed and does calves for the next, you know, 365 days in a row have, or he just gets frustrated with you. Have you gotten in the line of fire of any of these uh, high level athletes that you worked with? Oh yeah. Listen, I, I, <laughs> I, I used to get fired. I used to get fired twice a month. <laughs> Every, you know, you get fired, tw- you get fired twice a month. Listen, <laughs> With these individuals, they're so used to having yes people around them. Yes, yes, yes. So you have an individual that comes in that actually holds them accountable that, you know, when they when they do something uh, incorrectly or they do something wrong, you, you point it out, you have a discuss, you have a discussion, you have a discussion about it. It's usually a heat. It's usually a heated discussion, but they know they're so competitive that they want you to be just as competitive as they are. They don't back down. They don't want you to bet. They don't want you to back down. And it was funny before I could even mention a mistake or something. They would before I could say something, they would already know it. They'd be like, I got it. I got it. I already know what I made. I already know what I uh, did wrong and I'll fix it. When I first stuck with the first road trip I took with MJ, we were driving to that. We all were driving to the um, airport you know, we all had our, we all had our, we, we all had separate cars. He was in an automobile. He, yeah, I was said Michael didn't drive cars. He drove automobiles, much, much higher, much higher level. And he told us all, 
You better keep up. You better keep up. That wasn't just getting to the airport. That meant in everything that he was doing. Everything he was doing said, you, 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 bet, you better keep up. So he had already, you know, everybody talked about raising the bar. He literally just took the bar and just burned it because he goes, he goes, if I set a bar, I'm limiting myself. I'm limiting myself. You know, Kobe had this thing, you know, one of his commercials that he goes, you know, uh, it, uh, the one with uh, Kanye West, they always talk about more, more mm. winning, you know, more success, success at success. That's how these individuals think. And that's how they wanted you to think. And the reason I was able to get these clients is because I said I was just as messed up as as they were. This so this makes me curious because, um, you you know, earlier you were talking about some people win once, right? And that's it. Like they always talk about that one win they had. Um, but a lot of the people that we're talking about here won multiple times, right? And it, it makes it, it, what I wonder is like, when you've won a few times and you want to improve, you somehow have to try and find some weaknesses or flaws within what you're doing, even though what you're doing is already allowing you to continue to win. So what type of level of analyzation goes into these, like do these players have when they're like, Oh, I've won three. Uh, we're this great. Uh, what do we need to do to win three? Like, how do they do that? Even though they're already at the pinnacle, what goes through their mind? Well, you, well, you know what to try with each one, what goes through their mind is like that feeling of winning that you can only get through winning is like, if I come back exactly the same, I'm not going to have this feeling again. I'm not going to have this feeling again. So they look at the, you know, everyone talks about the 1%. These individuals look at the 0.001% of how to get better. Just that little, little, that's that little thing to say, okay, listen, I need to be able, you know, what can I do to be able to see the defense a little quicker? What can I do to be able to have more clarity? You know, one of the things that we used to do in our training on a regular basis is, we used to create as much chaos as we possibly can in a tra- in their in their training regimens. I'm talking about with music they didn't like. I'm talking about with flashing lights, all kinds of stuff to make sure that they were able to focus and stay focused during these different things. Because you know, as an athlete ages, their ability, their athletic ability is going to is going to diminish slightly. We try to minimize that as much as possible. But we try to like, okay, now that we know that the the physical gifts are diminishing, how can we make the mind stronger? How can we have the ability to see things? How we have the ability to read things? How we have the ability to block block out different distractions? So it's like all these different things that we used to constantly play with. All right, so you know what? All right, let's let the thing I used to do so often with my athletes is. I used to work the muscles that nobody paid attention to. Uh, I used to we used to spend literally after we were done, after the training was done, I would spend another 45 minutes on working all the different fingers and the thumbs and the wrists and the ankles and all that other stuff. You know, you've never seen an, you've never seen an athlete point out, go out on the basketball court or in the weight room and somebody says, man, that person's got great fucking ankles. They really got, they really, because people are looking at the biceps and the chest. So paying, paying attention to those little things, the intricacies of how all the different toes work, just parameters of different things that nobody else pays attention to and showing these individuals that, Hey, you're so elite, but if we can figure this thing out, you'll have, you'll have that 0.001% that 
that's something that nobody else has. And it was a meeting that we used to have literally the day after the championship, say, okay, what do we need to do to do to get to get this feeling again so I can be better? And they would tell me that they would have their ideas. I would have my ideas and we would kind of, I would try to put a plan. I would put a plan together for them to excel in those things. When we first. It's paying attention. It's paying attention to details that nobody else will pay attention to. You know how they say, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. When you're that elite, Mm -hmm. you have to sweat everything, every little detail. Uh, when we first connected, uh, you had said something along the lines of getting winning to just recognize you. Um, I I think I have an idea where you were going with that, and I, I love the concept. But can you explain or go a little bit further about what you meant by that, and how can somebody get winning to recognize them? Well, the first thing you have to do for winning to get to recognize you is understand that it is hard. I uh, and. When I was writing this book, everybody said you have to put the title has to include steps in it. You know, it has to be like five easy steps to this or 10 steps to this. And I'm like, eh, winning doesn't recognize steps because those steps are totally infinite. So you have to stop looking for winning's not looking for the short way. It's looking for the right way. It, you have to understand there are no easy steps and those steps are constantly moving. They're constantly changing. They're constantly disappearing. And the individuals that's willing to not only climb those steps, but sometimes sit on those steps, crawl those steps, trust that those steps are going to shift, knowing that a step might not even be there, but have enough belief in yourself that said, hey, I'm going to take I'm going to take this step. And when you climb all those steps, notice that and I'm still at the beginning. I'm still at I'm still at the beginning because winning. (laughs) As I said in the as I said in the book, plain and simple, winning fucks with your head. It fucks with your head. It, it does. You go in there and you just think you had this greatest workout, and you somebody else comes in and you're just like you had your best bench day, and some guy you haven't don't even know comes down sits on the bench and he uses your your maximum weight as a fucking warm up. <laughs> All right, and you're like, what the hell is going? What the hell is going on here? What is going on in there? You have to know it's not going to be. It's not going to be easy. There are no easy steps to it. And then once winning sees you, that you're willing to do everything possible, it may pay attention to you. But it's not going to be fair. Winning has no loyalty to you. Everybody wants to, you know, everybody thinks winning has lo- it should be loyal to you. Winning has no loyalty to you, none whatsoever. How many times have you seen somebody who didn't work as hard as you did end up getting the job? All right. Somebody who didn't train as much ended up getting that win. It's not fair. It's not fair. But winning wants to know that, hey, no matter what I throw at you, are you prepared to stay in this unforgiving race? The steps are a good analogy, I think, because, you know, you you start to do all these steps and uh, you feel great about it. Maybe you are winning. Maybe you do get ahead. But just like uh, taking the stairs of the Empire State Building, uh, eventually you get to the top and eventually you yeah. got to come back down and you have to kind of start over. And maybe when you're at the top, you recognize like, oh, shit, like. Look at all the other stuff I left behind in my effort to be so good at this. Maybe I should start to invest my time somewhere else. Maybe I should start to think about 
what I'm going to do with business or what I'm going to do with the rest of my life instead of just being a knucklehead, meathead weightlifter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, you always, you transition every, every, every great winner is always one in something else. You always see that they're, they're constantly, they're constantly evolving. They, they, the competitive nature doesn't stop. I mean, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant, after he retired from basketball, won an Oscar, wrote children's books, was, you know, was getting into the movie industry. So they, they constantly understand that with every single, with every single, with every single win that you have to continue to win in other, in other things, you know, some of the stuff that's out there all the time, I, I just don't, I actually think it holds people back. And, the, you know, this is one that always talks, they talk about, you know, it, it's not, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. All right. Well, what the hell are you taking the journey for if you don't know the destination? You know, if you're taking the, if you're climbing that empire state building, you know where the destination is. It, it, it's a, it, it's all the way in the top, you know, and pe but people love to use, Oh, in the journey, I get to grow so much. Well, yeah, you do get to grow, but what are you growing into? What are you growing? Are those growths actually going to lead to wins? Are they actually going to lead to wins? How about growing and winning? Instead of just growing, define it a little bit more. Say, I'm going to grow in. I'm going to grow in winning, and that's what these individuals do. They win in these. They win in multiple things over and over and over again. You know, listen, you guys have. You've had your fitness careers, you know, your powerlifting careers, whatever it is. Now you've won at that. Now you're winning at this. When it's time for you guys to win at something else, you win, you win at those things. But exactly what you said, winning doesn't recognize what you did over here. It, it doesn't care. It, do, it, it doesn't care. One of the great comments that Kobe made when he, when he first hired me, a reporter asked him and said, hey, listen, you know, you hired MJ's trainer. He goes, what do you think about him? He goes, I don't know. He ain't done shit for me yet. He goes, ask me at the end. He goes, ask me at the end of the season. What he did for him doesn't matter. That's like the last one. Like the last one. What you guys did on your last podcast, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All right. Are you winning at this podcast? And are you going to win at the next one? Are you going to win at the, uh, you going to win at the, uh, at the next one? That when you mentioned Kobe right there, I want to, I want to know about this because, you know, whenever athletes get into a certain sport, like powerlifters getting into powerlifting, they look at some of the greatest in the sport and they try to replicate that. When I got into jujitsu, I started paying attention to Hodger Gracie because he's the greatest jujitsu competitor of all mm -hmm. time. And I try to pay attention to everything that he's done. And when Kobe always talked about basketball, he was like always looking to at Michael, like at his shadow, you know what I mean? And I heard Kobe say certain things like, oh, I wasn't the most athletic. I couldn't jump out of the gym, et cetera. And we watch Kobe play, like he has great athleticism, but I'm curious, was he inherently saying that in comparison to Michael? Like, because Michael could jump out of the gym. He was super quick, super fast. Um, was he always comparing himself to Michael in that sense? And is that one of those things that people need to do? Like have a, I don't know, have a comparison or a blueprint that is just out there that they're aiming for. If it, if it works for you, if it works for, if it works for you, you know, people sometimes, well, this is what I said. What, what did you say? You were in your jujitsu. You're like, Hey, I'm emulating the best of the best. So people always used to give a hot Kobe a hard time 
to be like, hey, you know, oh, you walk like MJ, you do everything like him. Well, if you're going to emulate somebody, emulate the damn best that's out there. All right. But do you have the ability? Do you have the talent? Do you have the mindset to do, do those things? You have to find somebody that you can relate to and not copy them identically. Learn from them, understand what they do and make it your own. You know, there's that, oh, Kobe was just like, listen, yeah, I watched MJ. I studied MJ. It was not to be the next MJ. It was to be a better, it was to be a better Kobe Bryant. I, I could take some of my things that he did and see if I can implement it in my, in my game. When I, when I, one of the things we used to work with Kobe, Kobe used to say, Hey man, I want to be able to do the, you know, like MJ with the fake, with the ball. I said, Kobe, you don't have a chance of doing those things. I said, MJ's hands were absolutely massive, massive. So there's some things that you just, you're not, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to emulate. So what he did was like, okay, I can still do the fakes, but now I need to hold on to the ball differently. I need to hold on to it in a different different grip. I may need to hold on to it in two hands or use a different different type of pump fake. Or how can I do that fake and create something off of my create something off of my footwork? And that's that constant ability to learn to learn something. Listen, you do need to fo- you do need to watch other people because. That's one of the ways to make it a little bit sit to make it a sit, uh, make it a little simpler. But don't copy what isn't unique to you. How are you able to help uh, some of these high level individuals to be able to recognize their flaws? Because I feel like flaws are kind of like ugly babies. If they're our <laughs> own, we're not going to recognize it. So how how did you help? Because uh, you know, if you, I've heard you kind of have that quote before about looking in the mirror. And how it's really hard to, you know, notice the errors of your ways. And we don't even want to admit them. And even if we know they're there, we, we don't want to, like, uh, bring them up because they're, they can be emotional. They could be, I mean, there's all kinds of things attached to them. You know that there's a lot of hard work in investigating them and trying to make yourself into a, a different person. So how were you able to uh, point out these flaws and then to encourage these individuals, hey, this is something that we re- really need to attack and address? Your flaws are your gifts. Your flaws are your gifts. I always say that, you know, people try to hide the things that actually make them more special, that allow them to do special things because society says, don't do that or don't act, don't act this way or don't do, don't do this. You know, one of my biggest flaws is I learned through staring. I have a bad, everyone says you have a bad habit of staring. I do have a bad habit of staring, but that's the way I learn. That's the way when I'm focused in on something, I watch the patterns of their movement. I see what's going on. I do all those everything. And people say, oh, that that's a bit, you know, that's that's a flaw. Yeah. You know what? But that flaw is what made what, what allowed me to excel. So a lot of your flaws that you have, a lot of the things that people you try to hide, you should actually figure out how to use those things. No. You know, if you if you have that competitive nature, like a like an MJ, you know, his competitiveness could have gone either way. It could have been destructive or it could, you know, it was something that he used to enhance and get what he wants. We all are. We all we are all irregular in some way. We all have these. We all have these flaws. Recognize them. Don't hide them. Figure out how to use them. Figure out how to make them make that gift your special thing because we're all flawed in some way or another. We, we really are. We really are. All right. And people think of those as a, as a bad thing. And I, I don't ever think of it as a bad thing. I was like, Hey, use it, figure out what it is and figure out how you can make it special. We all have skeletons in our closets. They don't need to be in your closets. All right. Because sometimes 
that, that skeletons that you're putting in the closet is the thing you're going to need to get you to where you want to be. Now, there's just some consistent flaws that you see among those high-level individuals because you mentioned MJ's competitiveness, and I would assume that Kobe or, or Tiger Woods or a lot of these guys, they're competitive. But what other flaws do you see that like you're like, oh, they have this too? That's kind of like a theme in terms of individuals at that level. They all have an IDGAF muscle that's so freaking strong. Mm. That muscle is worked on a regular, regular basis. They just don't care. They just don't care. And they don't have any balance. They have no balance in their lives. You know, everybody is so busy trying to create balance. They're trying to create different ways to balance and all the other stuff. They're trying to find balance and they understand you don't find balance. You create it and it's different for each individual out there. And for people that try to balance all those things, they try to add all this stuff. Everybody's trying to add, add, add. They know that in order to win, one of their biggest flaws, one of their biggest things is they know they have to delete. You know, MJ didn't have a whole lot of friends. Kobe didn't have a whole lot of friends. You look at your most successful business people, you say, they don't have a whole lot of friends. They just don't. They just don't. It's not, it's not important to them. They know that time for everything equals time for nothing. They know what's important to them. They know how to balance it. They know how to create balance that's unique to them. And they don't care what anybody else thinks about it. They just don't. Tim, how are you staying in such good shape? doesn't look like you're getting any older. I've been following your career for a long time. So how are you staying in shape? How are you staying fit? Man, listen, you know, I don't do I don't do what I used to do. Uh, I, I literally I still do this. I go to the gym six days a week. I do cardio three days a week. I lift. I lift when I, I lift when I can. But, you know, I'm I'm in a place where. I'm, and one of the most important things for me is during each workout is to be able to get to the next workout. <laughs> you know, so I don't lift the same iron that I used to do. You know, you go into the gym and, you know, every now and then you're like, you think about it and you'd be like, nah, it's not a good idea. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's just not. It, it's just not. No, it's just consistency. You guys know that. It's just consistency. It's just like making time, continuing to do it. Uh, there's no secrets out there. You know, you got to, you know what? Everybody knows what. How, what you're supposed to eat, what's good for your body, what isn't good for your body, you know, in general, you know, you got to put in, you got to go put in the work, you got to go do your cardio, you got to go do your resistance training. And it's just consistency, just keep doing it over and over and over again. And it's just like, listen, do I do I love the work? No, I don't love the work. But I do enjoy the end result. I do enjoy to be able to go in my closet and be able to wear whatever I want. Whatever I want. From a diet perspective, was it hard to get some of these athletes on board with making changes to their diet? It's the, it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing to do because they've all been raised on fast food. It is the most mm. difficult thing to do. And the, the sooner we can get the individuals to understand that, the better it is. But it, it, it takes years and years of them getting, to, getting into that, figuring out the nutrition part. That's always been the most difficult. It always will be the most difficult part, too. With these guys being so competitive, were performance-enhancing drugs, were they ever brought up? Have you ever heard some of the guys uh, suggesting any of that to you, you being a trainer and coach and stuff like that? Not, not, not at all. I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed that I've never had 
out of the thousands of athletes that I've trained, I've never had one fail a drug test because I would educate them in all the different stuff. I, you have, when I said earlier about paying attention to the details, I need to know everything that's going on on your bodies, everything that you're taking, everything that's going on. If you go, if, if there's something that you're going from the outside, let me know, let me know what it is. But we took very, listen, I'm all about winning, but winning without breaking, without breaking the rules. Because also, you know, my reputation is on the line too. You know, it takes one moment to turn a, to turn a win into a loss, into a permanent loss. You know, I was curious because you, you, you were mentioning about like working out, right? Like if you're working out right, then you don't necessarily like it right? Because it's really hard. Um, but I want to know with a lot of these athletes and workouts, right? Workouts are obviously hard, but when I have really good workouts, I like that feeling, even though it really sucks, even in the moment, how shitty you feel, um, or how tired you feel, you like it in a way. Like I, I like it. Like I seek that out. I'm assuming a lot of these guys as hard as you made their workouts. I mean, the, the good ones they probably enjoyed it, right? Or am I wrong in that assumption? I don't think so. They enjoyed the actual workout. They enjoyed the results and they enjoyed the competition of the workout. Mm -hmm. They enjoy the competition. They enjoy the results. So what they know is it's a necessity. It's a necessity. It's just like, it's not an, it's not an option. You know, with MJ, one of the things we, we were the first ones that actually had them lift on game days. And everybody was like, you got to be crazy. You got a basketball player lifting on game days. You're going to throw a shot off. You're going to do all these different things. And I was like, no, it's actually going to, it's going to do the complete. Uh, it's, <laughs> working, uh, working out and training will make you less athletic. That didn't make any sense to me. That just, that just didn't make any, that just didn't make any sense to me. Did they enjoy the workout? I would say no. Did they enjoy like, okay, after a set and they accomplished something and, you know, they were like, okay, or what you just said is like, I don't feel like working out today, but those are the individuals you have the best workout. There is a sense of accomplishment, but there's also a sense of accomplishment and a set, a sense of completion because they know they have to complete this in order to continue to win on a regular basis. Got it. So I have a, uh, a bit of a, a heavy question and I've been over here fidgeting and deciding how I want to ask this or if I even want to ask this. Um, but here goes. Um, so with with Kobe, you know, we have hours and hours of game footage. Um, there's the uh, the Mamba mentality, motivational videos. There's interviews. There's tons of things that we can learn from you know his life. You know, there's I mean endless things. Um, is there anything that we can learn in his death? It seems like he was doing everything right. He put his family first, had a financial situation, everything was all set. Yet we still don't have him anymore. Is there anything we can learn in his, uh, you know, tragic death? So I'm actually glad you brought up that question. So one of the things I used to always tell Kobe, and there's a lot of people that you talk, that you talk to and, you know, people in this, into this space about the, you know, about the mind and all this other stuff. They say, oh, you have time. You have time. I always used to tell Kobe, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. And to this very day, I wish I was wrong. I really wish I was wrong. Listen, the one thing we can learn from him, from his passing is, listen, do everything. Experience everything. Feel everything. Winning is everywhere. 
it's there every single day. And you got a chance to see it in the short time that he was with us. So we don't have time. As much as we think to, we don't have time. What has it uh, done for your your uh, yourself and uh, like your family with you being around these uh, high level people uh, for so many for so many years? Uh, does it uh, does it sometimes make your experiences with uh, uh, you know your uncle or so and so who like just doesn't have their their shit together so to speak? <laughs> does it does it kind of make you scratch your head and like? Like, why aren't some of these motherfuckers reading my book, you know, type thing? (laughs) Well, you guys get this. You'll ask somebody and you'll explain something and they'll keep asking you the question. You'll be just like, I don't I don't understand. You're like, I don't. It's like, you know, you're like, I don't I I can't understand that way of thinking. I just and you're like so perplexed. You're just like sitting there like, really, (laughs) really? It's just like, I, I, I don't I don't understand. And you don't understand. You really don't understand. Well, you know, people like I, I would say I, I'm that family member that nobody wants in their family, but everybody needs. Well, mm-hmm. so that that's where it is. I yeah, like, eh, should we invite him? Uh, you know, well, you know what he's <laughs> going to say, you know what he's going to do, but he's going to bring. Hey, we do know he's going to bring the best tequila. We know that. So that's always mm-hmm. an advantage. And you're like, yeah, well, we know he's going to talk trash because our cars are dirty and we you know, you know, he's yeah. going to judge the food that we're eating and so on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but also just be yourself. That right. that's it. I, I, I if I'm going to be myself, you just be just be yourself. I'm not here to ju- I'm not here to judge you. We're not put on this planet to judge anyone. Uh, this you were mentioning something about like winning every day when you were mentioning you were talking about Kobe, and it made me curious when we talked about like Michael manufacturing problems to have to overcome. Um, how like how does one find a way to find wins in a lot of the things that they're doing? Because for example, if you're an athlete, uh, your win comes from like whatever, winning a tournament or winning whatever gold medal or whatever that that's where the big win is. Right. Um, but would you suggest that athletes find wins in other ways just to make it even more of a habit? Cause I feel like if you're looking at that one thing, right, that's one win. That's quite a ways away. And it could take a while to get there. Like you said, Michael didn't win his first championship until he was seven years in. Right. Yeah. So um, how does one get into the habit of winning? If the thing that you're really trying to win might be very far away. Well, it's just what you said. It's the habit of winning. Are you doing everything from a habitual standpoint, from a practical standpoint, that's getting you closer and closer to closer to whatever that win is, you know, and, during the pandemic, we've forgotten what a win looks like, what it feels like. We, we've just, we, we, we've forgotten it. That's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is there are wins out there every single day. You just have to recognize them and you have to be able to string those little wins to string those wins together that get you a little closer to those things. But they have to be real wins. They have to be real wins. You know, they can't be like the, oh, you know, oh, I showed up. You know, I like to say, oh, showing up is half the battle. No, showing up is none of the battle. It's none of the battle. All right. I, just because you showed up at the gym, that that doesn't mean you're going to you're going to get the. That's not a win. It's what you do. At, it's what you do once you get there. 
and then what you do once once you once you leave. So can you form those things that get you a little bit when recognize it and recognize it every single day that everything I'm doing is getting me a little bit closer to that uh, that ultimate that ultimate win. Just a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And you have to literally have your routine planned that way to say, hey, this is what I need to do on a regular basis to get me a little bit closer, a little bit closer and recognize if it's actually working. If it's not, you know, during the pandemic, you had so many people had to get out of their routines, which was the best thing for them because those routines were so comfortable. They weren't getting them any closer wins. They were just surviving. Some of these different personalities, is it, has it been your experience to where each guy uh, wants to be the best and or sometimes they want to be the best, but also maybe to uh, also maybe they're thinking of like who they're going to kick the crap out of. You know, I heard I heard you make a statement uh, when you were on Andy Frisella's show where you talked about like when you're given a speech and you're talking about like which sounds uncharacteristic of you, but I, I understand the mentality. We are talking about like kicking the guy in the stomach or like punching the guy in the face type of thing, but it, it's, it's a mindset. So I, I get it. And I understand what you're talking about in your experience to most of the guys, are they focused in on themselves? Or are they worried about punching the other guy in the face? <laughs> they're focused in on themselves. They're focused in on themselves. All right. And then when they're focused in on themselves, then they then they then they know they can punch the guy in the face even harder. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us. You got one more question? No, nope. Good. All good. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us today. And what's your dog's name that you have in your lap mm-hmm. there the whole time? This is this is this is Cody. Cody, what's up, what's up Cody? K K O D. Yeah, he's the mini megalodon. Adorable. Yeah. Where can people get your book? The book is available anywhere where books are, are available. Any, any bookstore, online, Audible, you know, anywhere it is. If you want to, you can even go to our website, timgrover.com, our Instagram at timgrover. It's it's available everywhere. I do. If you can't find a book, you're not looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. We'll, we'll put it in the description as well. I have one last Appreciate question it. before you go. Yes, sir. Um, as far as guys like MJ and Kobe uh, and all these other guys, when it comes to like when it comes to how they went about things mentally when they were on their own, like, yeah, they trained hard. They, they were, they were great athletes, but did they, did they have any mental practices that just maybe most people don't do or think about or talk about in terms of like the way they went about thinking about competition, going over things, just the way they thought about things. They had the ability to, like I said earlier, they had the ability to delete the unessentials. The things that didn't matter during that during that time. So, like you know, when they were able to go from moment to moment to moment, but be able to go back into the moment, so they could go from being in a real competitive state and then being laughing, and then going back into the competitive, being going back in the competitive state. So, being able to stay in a mind of clarity, you know, and not have all the distractions constantly, constantly bogging them all the time. And they didn't have what I always said. You know, everyone talks about the switch. That switch never turned off. It never turned off. They dimmed it 
So instead of a switch, they had a dimmer and they got to control the dimmer of how, because if you take something and you turn the power off all the way and then you have to turn the switch back on, it takes too much energy to, to do those things. So whatever moment they were in, they were in that they were in, they were totally immersed in that moment, whether it was a competitive moment, whether it's a relaxation moment, whether it was a fun moment, but they were able to go from one to the other instantly. That's impressive. That's uh, that's not, that's no small task. Yeah. No, it's not. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It was an honor that I've got a chance it. to talk to you guys. Thanks thank again. You. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Right. Take care. You as well. Awesome. Yeah. That was some pretty, pretty uh, outstanding stuff right there. Man. Tim Crover. That dimmer thing, man. I, uh, I like that That's a lot. That's some shit. I like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of things that had me thinking this whole time yeah, this dude. podcast and the balance thing i think that's 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 something mm-hmm. that um is, is a pretty big deal because everyone we we talk about that a lot but everyone tries to find like a way to balance everything but like mm-hmm. it depends on what you're doing but a lot of times imbalance is necessary in a, in a weird way it reminds me of when someone tells me that they used to be on like crystal meth i'm like whoa like mm-hmm. you were like stuck in that and you couldn't fucking get out of it I think some of these guys are so tunnel vision that they're addicted to what they're doing and they'll do any and everything they can to, to get more of it, to do more of it. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where they're at. Right. You guys good for a couple of seconds. I got to pee really bad. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, man, go ahead. Yeah. Don't, don't pee on our, don't pee your pants. Right don't there. pee on our crank. <laughs> the whole thing just, goes yeah, it just starts to melt. Yeah. That was, uh, that was spectacular. I, I like how he's developed this mindset over, you know, a long period of time and it hasn't, it hasn't wavered. I think he's just added to it. You mm-hmm. know, he's added to it. I don't think he's even subtracted from it. I think it's been something that he's been, you know, it's a body of work Yeah, been working on it for a long time and him being around all those people. Um, it's not to say that those people have it perfect or those people have it right. Uh, but you get the sense that like he knows what he's talking about because he was able to assist and help people that were already at such a high level. Um, there's gotta be something to it, right? There has to be. And and that's, that's why like the, the physicality of, of it and the, the way he trained them is cool. But the thing that I think I got the most from was just, again, the way they thought about things and the way they, they, they went about things in their mind because not that you have to, you don't need to go replicate Jordan's taking everything personally. You don't need to go replicate that. But conceptually, you can understand the idea of using those things as just like a, a small dark fuel just to help move you forward just a little bit. Yeah, I've had plenty of those moments. I mean, I remember one in particular in powerlifting where I just competed against somebody and um, I was able to beat them at this particular contest because I came down a weight class or something like that. And the next competition I was going to compete at a heavier weight class. And this guy was going to go back up. Uh, and I kind of knew that anyway, but this guy was really strong. I just, he just happened to like not do well in the contest. Like he did terrible and I did great. Mm-hmm. I made most of my lifts. He missed most of his and I was able to beat him. And I remember, you know, when the contest was over, I walked over to him and I said, Hey, you know, great competing with you today. You know, have, have a good, have a great day. And uh, he was like, I'll see it worlds, <laughs> you know, and the way he said it, I was like, and he like shook my hand. It was like something out of a movie and he squeezed it a little extra, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and uh, I walked, I'm not confrontational, so I don't care. You know, I was just like, whatever. But then as I was walking away, I thought about it more. It takes a while for stuff to sink into this fat head of mine. 
And I was like, fuck that guy. I'm like, I'm going to just, so all in training, I kept thinking about him the whole time. I was like, I'm going to kick that guy's ass. And then he just happened to do horrible in the meet again. And I was able to be able, able to beat him, but I, I did get a lot stronger. You know, yeah. I used that fuel. I was like, I'm not letting him get away with that. And it was, it, for me, it was good because I did beat him on that particular day. But if I was being honest, I was like, you know what? He actually is stronger than me. So he can kick my ass. It's just, but I, I'm going to need to get exponentially that much stronger and be ready for him. Just like Tim said, you were proving to yourself, you're proving to yourself that you were much stronger than this yeah. dude. Cause that's the thing that proving he said. myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. He, none of these guys were trying to prove people wrong. They're just like, yeah, I actually am this fucking good and I'm going to show you guys I'm this good. And it's because I know it, you know? Yeah. And other people usually don't care that much. They don't. <laughs> they really don't. People uh, aren't. People aren't, uh, and you know, you hear people say these things like, nobody thought I'd be good at jujitsu. And it's like, well, not, okay, let's back up a second. Not everybody's thinking about your jujitsu classes. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe there's a couple people that yeah. thought that you were shitty when you started, or maybe there's some people that thought, like, look at this bodybuilder guy, like, he's going to be stiff and he's going to suck. Mm -hmm. Right. And those people, you can kind of say, all right, well, you know, they probably don't think that any, <laughs> yeah, any yeah, longer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting uh, trying to trying to prove other people wrong. They they usually just they don't care. They're not sitting there thinking about it. Yeah, but it is funny, man, how certain statements that certain people say may stick with you. Um, I think it it, it is like I, I've mentioned this before, but like there there's this dude that just like said, um, you know, uh, as a pro natural bodybuilder or whatever, there's really no way that you'll end up doing well at jujitsu or at getting to the top at jujitsu. And it's not like I I, I don't. I don't like focus on that all the time, but I remember it. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like written on your fridge or anything. No, 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 no. I don't have like post-it notes on my mirror reminding myself no, every morning about it. I think it, it's but. good. I think it's good fuel though. And I think it's, um, I think a lot, I think sometimes some of these things are partially in our own mind too. Yeah. And so when someone says that, yeah. you're like, I was kind of thinking the same thing, but I don't think that's true. I think I can prove myself right. I yeah. think I can, I think I can go against this. I think, uh, you know, we, we hear people, um, people blame all kinds of stuff on, on certain things and they don't have anything to do with each other. More recently, I've been hearing a lot of blame on the pandemic. People are like, yeah, I gained like 30 pounds during the well, they don't say they gained 30 pounds during the pandemic. They say they gained 30 pounds because Period. of oh. the pandemic. And I'm like, whoa, like, no, you did, not everyone gained 30. If everyone gained 30 pounds, then I might say, okay, well, yeah, you're right. There, this pandemic of fatness came around and we all, <laughs> we all gained uh, 30 pounds. But, uh, and I've heard other people say, oh, you know, my kids, they couldn't get outside. They, I'm like, your front door was locked. Like, I think I live in the same country. Uh, we were all still able to get out of our homes, you know, at least here in the United States and here in California. Yes, there was restrictions and yes, there was particular rules and yes, things got tightened up for a period of time, but you're as locked up as you want to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it, what I mean? It was super like the same thing, you know, um, it was super apparent when people were just leaning on, you know, the, the pandemic. Um, if you try to call like any company, but like, let's just like your cable company or whatever, your cell phone, the same recording like across the board in these unprecedented times, we are experiencing higher call volume. Therefore your wait times might be longer. It's like, 
No, nah, man. Like they've always been extremely long. Like it's there's no different. But they would <laughs> lean on that to be like, "Sorry, guys, this is why this is happening. It's not because we suck. It's because this you know unprecedented times." You're like, I've always gotten fucked over calling AT and T. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but that's the thing. Like it, it is much easier to point the finger at something else rather than like just taking accountability and saying, "Oh." It was because my decision not to go outside and take some walks or not to go outside and maybe try running a little bit, not to do this. It's easier to say, well, the pandemic and it happens to a lot of other people. So it happened to me, too. So this is normal. Right. Um, but, hey, mm-hmm. it's over now. Gyms are open. No more excuses. Yeah, get back at it. Yeah. All right, Andrew, you want to take us on out of here, buddy? Sure thing. Thank you, everybody, for checking out today's episode. Um, if you guys liked it, please like it. Um, and definitely follow us, follow us all over the place. Subscribe right here on YouTube. Uh, hit the bell notification so you guys don't miss anything ever mm-hmm. again. Uh, please make sure you're following the, po- following the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on TikTok and Twitter. My Instagram and Twitter is at I am Andrew Z. And Seema, where are you at? And Seema In Yang on Instagram and YouTube, and Seema Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter. Don't forget to go to iTunes, guys, because mm-hmm. we're rocking over there. Give us a five star review. And yeah, leave a review. Mark? I'm at Mark Smelly Bell. Strength is never weakness, weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later. Bye.